glorify the Lord together, shall we? Let's bless the name of the Lord together. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Amen. I want you to reach over right now to the person next to you, and I want you to begin to pray. You don't know what they came in here facing, and I believe tonight that the Spirit of the Lord can minister to every person, to every heart. Come on, Wallace Ridge, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. magnify the Lord, shall we? There's healing and virtue and power in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Aren't you happy to be in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night? We got a full house on a Wednesday night. Amen. I'm happy to see everyone in the house of the Lord, I want to remind you as you turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 4. That's the Old Testament. Right before the book of Hezekiah. Y'all going to be looking for that one. We have a meal this Sunday. As I told you, it's to help support our dorm and... Uh, you know, there have been people, times past, at other churches, I don't think it would happen here, but it has happened other places, that they want to know what's being served before they decide if they're going to go. It's not about the meal, it's about the mission. It's not about the food, it's about the fellowship. It happens to be baked potatoes. And they got toppings and different things. It's going to be good. If you, if you don't like baked potatoes, then just come and donate towards the mission. And visit with people and fellowship. Baked potatoes isn't in my top 50, but I'm going to be there. I'll eat one. But we try to diversify. Because it's up to me, we'd have a mac and cheese with ketchup. By myself, probably. But we try to accommodate and change things up. And so, don't even worry about the potato. Just come and fellowship. We are pushing this year to raise money for this dorm. I'm excited about it. Lord willing, we'll get our final approval when the board meets in May. I'm sorry, March. And then uh, we can start taking the steps to move forward with that. So uh, I'm just, I just wanted to drop that uh, little nugget so you could think about that, okay? Because I'm going to be over there, and I think I should see everybody there on Sunday night. Amen. Amen. 
Touch your neighbor and say, I like potatoes on Sunday. Does that, Brother Black, was there enough sugar on that, brother? Digest that good. Can I just be pastor tonight for a little while? I'm going to be. I don't have any notes. And so I can't, I'm not, I'm not liable for anything that gets said that passes through my filter that don't catch it. But I do feel the Lord has spoken to my heart, and I want to preach for a little while. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'll have you be seated, and then we'll walk through this chapter together. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it came to pass that when Soundballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Verse number 13, Therefore, this is Nehemiah, Set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I want to preach a little while on this thought. Every person has a place. Every person has a place. Amen. Lift your hands and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we need you in this place. Open our understanding. Let revelation flow freely. God, put things into my mind that come straight from the throne of God. Enable me, Lord, to deliver what you have laid on my heart. With the best of my ability, Lord, that revelation that this church needs. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory and praise. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I'll probably take a different approach. And I took the pulpit early on purpose because I, I may preach a little while. There is a feeling that has lived in churches for years and years and years and years and years. Not just in Pentecostal ranks, but uh, in the Christian realm, people have struggled. It's been a silent killer. It's called insignificance. People have felt like they didn't have a role in the kingdom. They felt like nobody would miss them if they weren't there. And once they start walking down that road, they get deeper and deeper and deeper. It's a trick of the enemy wanting to convince people that there's not a place for them in the church. There's not a place for them in the kingdom of God. If that were the case, then that would lead us to think that God created you without a purpose. And we know that God does all things on purpose with purpose. Everything God has ever done, he had a reason behind it. 
does not owe us an explanation. His ways, Scripture says, are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Even if God told us this is why I did this, we still wouldn't see the the total picture, and it wouldn't make sense to us. I'm convinced that there are times that God will take somebody's life because perhaps he knows that at that moment they were right with him. And yes, it may hurt other people. And yes, it will bring grief and pain and questions and misunderstandings. But out of his love, he would say, I know you're young, but you've, you, this is the only time in your life that you're going to be right with me, and I want you to make it to heaven, so I'll take you now so you can make it. I'm convinced that that could happen. There's a lot that we don't understand. That's an understatement. But listen to me when I tell you that every person has a place. In the kingdom of God. Every person. Whether whether you realize it. Or you step into it. Or you fulfill it. Is up to you. But God has a purpose. For every individual. That has ever lived. And that has ever. Set foot in a church. And been born of the water and the spirit. Listen to me. How. Beautiful is the fact that God could take people from all walks of life that perhaps would never interact if not for church with different personalities, different likes and dislikes and he bathes you in his blood and puts his spirit in you and we come together to worship one Savior and we put aside personal differences and likes and dislikes, and we operate together in a spirit of unity so we can reach the lost. Friend, you can't paint a prettier picture than that unifying power of the Holy Ghost and of the blood of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God has weathered every storm. The church is still standing in spite of everything that it's endured. In spite of all of the persecution through the dark ages. In spite of all of the compromise regarding doctrine. The Bible says that there's a remnant of grace. And we are a part of that remnant of grace tonight. Aren't you thankful? Clap your hands unto the Lord. Now, In our setting, we understand that Nehemiah was nothing more than a cupbearer for the king. Moved with a burden to rebuild the walls that had been torn down around Jerusalem. And he was released and granted leave so he could accomplish this task and he could gather the people to work. And the scripture says, and you, brother, brother Greg, if you'll walk with me. Uh, We're going to begin with, or or Brother Jeremy rather, we're going to walk up verse number 1 of chapter 4. I didn't read it all because of the sake of time. I didn't want you to stand that long. But we're going to walk through it. It said, it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. 
And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end of the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Here was Nehemiah who understood, I don't have architectural ability. I don't understand how to do all of the masonry and, and build a wall. All I've got is a passion. All I've got it is a desire for this thing to be accomplished for Jerusalem. And the enemy would love nothing more to convince him that he's insufficient for the task, that he's insignificant. And he heard the murmurings of these uh, leaders. He heard their mockery, if you please. And he knew that he was up against a formidable foe. But can I just remind this church tonight, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your ability is or your lack thereof. Does not the scripture still declare if God be for us who can be against us? There's not a foe. There's not a devil. There's not an enemy that can stop what God is trying to do in Wallace Ridge. If you believe it, clap your hands and shout unto God. So Nehemiah is hearing all of this. And he says in verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. They don't like us, God. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. In other words, God, everything they're wanting to do to us, you turn it upon them. I want you to know tonight that God answers those kind of prayers. I remember reading about Brother Barnes, who a witch had been trying to put a curse on him. And he was up walking the floor at night, and he said, God, why am I the one up all night? He said, everything that she's trying to do to me, do it to her. I'm going to bed. Make her miserable. Next morning, she got, he got a phone call from that lady. Said, Brother Barnes, I need you to forgive me. I've been up all night long and couldn't sleep a week. I've been so miserable about what's been going on. Don't you know that God can turn everything that the enemy wants to do to your family and do to this church? God can turn it and send it back to where it came from. Nehemiah said, turn it all back to them, God. Everything that they're conspiring to do against us, let it come upon them. Verse 5, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee. Did you catch that? God, they ain't provoking us. They're making you mad. 
with what they're trying to do. Said so they provoked thee to anger before the builders. Watch this. Verse number six. So we built the wall. God, I know what they're wanting to do. But what we're wanting to do is greater than what they're wanting to do. And we got you on our side. So we're going to just pay them no mind. And we're going to keep doing what we know we're supposed to be doing in the first place. Hey, friend, I believe it's time we start pushing out all of the politics. We start pushing out all of the gossip. We start pushing aside what anybody else would say. And we start working like we know we're supposed to be working. For the nine is far spent. It's fixing to be the trumpet time. The only reason I'm going so fast is because this is a long chapter. And all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Oh, how beautiful it is when unity prevails in a church. When the people realize that there is something to be accomplished for the kingdom of God. Can I tell you, this is more than just about coming to church. If you're in it for three songs or five songs in a sermon, you're going to be disappointed. Because there's the kingdom of heaven is bigger than this. So you had a people that had a mind to work. But you had someone in their life named Nehemiah that they were accountable to. We'll, we'll put it like this. There was a man of God in their life making sure that the work was getting done. I'm parking for a little bit because there's safety and a man of God in your life. There's value in a man of God in your life. And God's got to help me tonight because I got a whole lot I want to say and I only got enough sugar to cover a little bit of it. You know, the Lord had blessed me to be under two totally different styles of leadership in my life. And I thank him for both men that he put in my life. Brother Galen Allen was my pastor from basically birth till I was 15. He died when I was nearing 16 years old. And then Brother Stanton from, from that time, December 1st of 1999, and I turned 16 December 2nd of 1999. That's how I remember that. And he's still my pastor. And I gleaned from both of them. I learned how to preach from listening to CDs of Brother Allen, who, if I played his CDs tonight, more than likely, most people would think it was me preaching because I mirror his 
theatrics, his style, insomuch that my wife has walked in and heard those CDs playing and thought that it was me preaching. And Brother Allen, turn this Facebook off, turn this off, because somebody's going to watch this and take something I say the wrong way. This would just be a, you had to be here special. Brother Allen, tell me when we're off, had the ability of addressing a situation and addressing a problem with such poise and tact and a smile. And you knew when you left his office that you got in trouble, but you loved him more. And you just were so happy to be in the church. He just loved all over you. And Brother Stanton, I love him. He's my pastor. I give him honor. But he, he could whittle you down to size with no tact and no poise. And you knew you got in trouble and you had just been blistered. He was rough, East Texas. I mean, he could, he, he, we, he could get you. I'm trying to be nice. Love him. He's my pastor still. Two totally different styles. And I always wondered, God, why? But I understand now. It's because I got to see both spectrums. And, and I found somewhere in the middle that I found balance. And there's times, I told you when I came, that I would, I've never pastored before and that I would need grace and that I would need mercy. And how many know I've messed up since I've been here? Look, nobody wants to raise their hand. I raised mine. I've had to go back and correct things. I've had to ask for forgiveness. I've had to say, hey, I'm sorry. I could have done this better. But don't you know you learn from your mess-ups? And I'm not exempt from any of that. And even though I'm human, I represent the office of a Nehemiah. I'm the first to tell you, but by the time I leave this pulpit and make it to that chair, nine times out of ten, I can tell you where I messed up. I can tell you what I said wrong. I messed up last Sunday night, a week and a half ago, and I'm not telling you. Because you probably caught it and was too embarrassed to say anything to me. Thank God for Brother Jeremy. You know why, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just going somewhere here. You know why when we came, Brother Story several times made a big push and effort for the church to say, Brother Stevenson, Sister Stevenson. I never said it. I knew it would come in time. I was young. I had never pastored. Hi, my name is Tyler. I'm just happy to be here. I was just trying to catch the train that was moving, okay? But it's about respecting the office of the Nehemiah in your life. It's not because I went around demanding it. And, and think about this. There's a big push in the, in the church world. Brother, first name. Pastor, first name. And that's their prerogative. 
not casting stones, but I have been known to be a little old-fashioned, okay? And people go to a doctor and they say, doctor, last name. Don't they? They don't, you don't go in there and say, hey, doctor, whatever his first name is, if you even know his first name. You don't do that. You know why? Because you respect that office that he's filling. And I'm just of the opinion, if you're going to do it for a doctor in the physical, do it for a doctor in the spiritual that's supposed to help you get better and make it to heaven. And so that's just a mild sign of respect for that office in your life, that Nehemiah in your life. And my pastor, I remember when I was, I, I was probably 16 or 17 years old, and I've been, you know, I'm very transparent. I'll show you my flaws. I, I'm not going to hide I'm not going to hide behind a, a cloak of righteousness, okay? God has forgiven me of a lot of stuff. Mostly stupidity. And my pastor, we were in the office, and I disagreed with something he did. And I said, well, then I'm just leaving. I mean, you think about this. I was a 17-year-old boy talking to my pastor who was in his mid-40s to late 40s like that. And I got up, and I turned around, and I walked to that door. And I heard two of the biggest hands slam down on that desk. And he said, you sit back down right there. And I froze. I was expecting lightning bolts to fix it to hit me. And I turned around. And I tucked my tail. And I went and sat in that chair. And I'm telling you. God is my witness. I expected him to start ripping hide because I knew he could. And he was mad. But he knew what the situation required. And he got out from around his desk. He walked over to me in that chair knowing I was just a troubled teenager needing some direction. And he got on his knees and he started crying next to me. And he put his arms around me. And he started praying for me. Because he was a Nehemiah that understood every person has a place. And I'm not going to let my anger damage someone who is in a season of life uh, that they are troubled. Listen, I may not do everything perfect, uh, but I pray to God uh, that I show mercy like it was shown unto me. uh, Because I want every person under the sound of my voice uh, to fulfill your purpose in the kingdom of God. Every person has a place. You know what my pastor taught me? Can I just share some of these principles with you? Accountability goes a long way. Something, I was talking to an elder earlier. He had no clue what the Lord had been moving upon me. I just took it as confirmation. I was always taught ethics. Ethics between a pastor and and a saint. Just good ethics. Something so simple as if I was not going to make it to church that night, I just let my pastor know I'm not going to make it. 
know, we didn't even have text messaging back then. I just called him. Especially when I got into leadership because it's you expect more out of leaders. It's a good practice not to expect the pastor to chase you. You just let him know, I'm sick. I'm not going to be here. Since I have been here, I have never, not one time, to my recollection, if I'm wrong, God forgive me, I'm not trying to tell a story. I have never told anybody, you can't go. You can't miss. I've never shamed anybody. You know why? Because if I'm sick, I ain't coming. If I want to go on vacation, I'm going. And I want you to say, I hope you have a good time, Pastor. So that's why I tell you, I hope you have a good time when you go on vacation. It's because if your walk with God is in trouble because you miss one service, that service wasn't the problem. It wasn't now. If it turns habitual, then there's a bigger problem than that one service. I recognize fully that we all need times to get away. We all need moments that we can recharge. But when I plan my vacation, you want me to know how I, you want to know how I plan it? What's the least amount of church I can miss and still have enough time to get away with my family? That's how I think. How can I still do this and work my schedule and miss the least amount? You know how many times? And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just telling you the facts. My family, we have left on a Sunday night after church and started driving for vacation. When I could have easily left Sunday morning, it's because I wanted to be in church. And so I said, I'll just... We'll drive to Branson. I mean, that's all we do is go to Branson. We'll drive to Little Rock, get there at 1 o'clock in the morning, and then we'll get up and finish the trip on Monday. But it's because we plan everything around the... This is, boy, this is good, isn't it? I mean, we're going to be full off this tonight. That Nehemiah understood they got to have somebody that they're accountable to. And I'm, I'm not a taskmaster. I don't need you to check with me if you want a blue car or a red car. Don't care. Just don't get black. You'll regret it. I hate it. I'm never getting black again. I know men that are just iron fist. Control, control, control. Wanted to know everything about everybody and wanted to just... Have puppets everywhere. Man told me this when I first started pastoring. He said, listen to what I'm going to tell you. You can control a couple hundred or you can love thousands. I'm one person. And I choose to love thousands and teach you the principles of the word 
and, 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 and I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to look out after you as far as trying to please you. I, my responsibility is to declare the whole counsel of God and then it falls upon you as to whether or not you want to do what the word says. Uh, but I believe we can do this thing together for the kingdom of God. There's some people that see how I can word this. Well, I can't word it any nicer way than what I'm going to say, okay? It's not just wrong if the pastor sees you do it. It's either wrong. Some people get embarrassed if pastor sees them do something. I don't say nothing. You know what I've noticed about people? When they're doing something they know they're not supposed to do, they know. They know. Nobody ever had to tell me when I was doing wrong. I knew I was doing wrong. And knowing that there's that voice of accountability in your life, Helps keep you in line. I may never see, you know, here we see people more often, but uh, in larger towns, you may go all week and never see anybody from church. Never. But knowing that there's a Nehemiah in your life, that he could see you or he could call you, it just helps keep that accountability in place. Amen. I'm going to keep moving, not because I'm out of stuff to say, but because everybody's toes are hurt. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder now, I remind you that it's already declared that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So Satan cannot stop the church. But there has been times that the enemy has hindered the church. church. Sunday night was a classic example of spiritual opposition. Now listen to me. You can feel the difference between tired and opposition. I get the fact that people are tired. Wednesday nights, people have worked. I'm very understanding and respectful of people and what they've gone through, etc. I remember working 50, 60 hours a week Monday through Saturday, church on Sunday, church Wednesday night. I know, I know what tired's like. So I'm very understanding and respectful of that. But you can feel the difference between weary and resistance. And if we allow it, we'll let those services, we can chalk them up to just, oh, the singing wasn't that good that night, and this didn't, and, and we'll let service after service go by, and the progress is being hindered. So it takes us 
provoking ourselves like Sunday night and pushing beyond our feelings, pushing beyond our emotions and breaking something in the spirit. When we left Sunday night, you could feel a difference in the atmosphere. You could feel a difference in the spirit. And so the enemy wants to hinder the work. But watch this. Watch what Nehemiah did in verse number 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Nehemiah understood, okay, the enemy does not want us doing the work of the Lord. He does not want us advancing. And so he's going to do everything uh, he can to, to, to hinder the progress. So we've got to be prayerful and we've got to be watchful. What does the scripture say? Be sober, be vigilant, be aware because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, the enemy would love for us just to get stuck in the rut and go through the motions, but there we have to be prayerful. Let me say this. There's people that used to go to the prayer room that aren't going to the prayer room like they used to. I've noticed. You know how much I've noticed in three years that I've never said a word about? A lot. Because if I chased everything I saw, I'd, never, I'd be so weary my tongue be mopping the floor. There's a lot of stuff that I see that if I ever, ever voiced it, your hair would stand on your neck. These old beady eyes without glasses. I can see now. I got 20-20 vision. I wanted to wear fake glasses and not tell anybody I had surgery. Take my glasses off and y'all think I can't see a thing and I could see everything. But just because I don't say it doesn't mean I don't see it. And there's people that Used to be in that prayer room, and I've watched that they started chipping away the time, the amount of time that they've been in there, and now they're nigh unto not even showing up at all. And I'm not speaking for the ladies, because I don't go in the ladies, but I'm speaking about the men. Men, it falls upon us as the leaders to be prayerful and to be watchful. Ladies, that prayer room is not a fellowship room. It's a prayer room. It's where you go get out of all the muck of the day and you get your mind on God and you come together in a spirit of unity to pray. The only way the work of the Lord is going to be done is we're going to be prayerful and we're going to be watchful. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. The bearer of burdens, the people that carried the load for so long, their strength has faded. You know, there's people that have carried the load of this church for years. 
There's the Sister Vernices and Sister Beatsies and Sister Emma Montpelier's and, and elders that passed on not long before I got here. They're the, the bearers of the burden, Sister Georgie and some of our elders. And I'm not trying to classify people as old. I'm saying you're older than me, which that's half the people in here. But what I'm saying is their strength is fading. And we cannot just rely on them to get us plugged in all the time where we need to be. We can't rely upon that older generation to carry the load. I'm looking at silver hair and I realize that their time does not stop for anybody. And I'm looking at a church that if we're going to go where we need, where God wants us to go, somebody's got to start bearing the burden. Somebody's got to start putting their hand to the wall and say, hey, I'm not going to let somebody else do it for me. I'm going to be the one leading in prayer. I'm going to be the one stepping out in service. I'm going to be the one following the Holy Ghost. Now listen, I'm not calling these people old at all. But I was talking to the Donovan this week. Brother Spanky, Sister Joyce, and Brother Donovan have been playing music for the Lord since before I was born. What, over 30 years probably, right? Together. Over a hundred years experience total between all of them of playing music and leading worship in church. And they do a phenomenal job. Brother James has been playing with them for 20 plus years, right? I've never had a hiccup when I had a wild hair and said, sing whatever. They just boom, 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 go right on. And I realize that they have done this through different genres. They have seen all kinds of music in 30 plus years. And we try to have a Baskin Robbins of music for people. There's music that we sing that I don't like and you don't like. And then there's music we sing that I like, and it just there's some music I don't even know if God likes it. That, I put a big X on it. We ain't singing that mess. I just think God says, "Skip, go to the next one." But you know what? If I said, "There's a list of the four year for you to put songs that you don't like, and we won't sing them no more," we'd be crickets in here. I get it. I understand it. But you know what? We try to accommodate everybody in the church. Even if you only get one song a year, you better show up when it's that song. Or you waiting a long time. But you know what? The strength, not, not saying they're old, I'm saying, I'm using an analogy. The strength of the bearer of burdens in musicians will fade. Reality of life, there will come a day they say, you know what, I'm weary, I've done my time, etc. And if there's no young people or middle-aged people that are saying, I've got talent that I want to use for God, then there's going to be a void in that worship area. we got to say, hey, I may not know how to play an instrument now, but by the time they're ready to step down, I'm going to 
going to know how to play an instrument because I got a role that I can feel for the kingdom of God. He says the strength of the pairs of burdens is diminishing. And our adversary said, they won't know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. The enemies think that they could just move on in amongst the people. They won't know. They won't know. Listen, there are times I'm on this platform and my radar goes off. And I just start looking. Because somebody will show up and it has nothing to do with that person. But it has everything to do with their spirit. Because they think, I'll just come on in the middle of them. They won't ever know, but I'll hinder the work of the Lord. There's been people I've seen in churches that I knew they were there for the wrong reason. They were there to hinder and not to help. I know it's 805. Y'all still with me? I know I've told this story. I think I've told this story. If not, if I have, just act like it's a new one. I was in a revival one time, and I walked down the side aisle of this church, and I got to the front, and I looked. It was probably 300 people there. And in the back where the Junior Carol sitting, what would have been that section, there was I saw three ladies. And instantly when I saw them, I went, they're the three Jezebels that are holding this church up. That's the spirit that is hindering the revival. And I went up there, and I preached angry. Sometimes you get more done angry than you do anointed. I preached angry. I mean, I was mad. How dare you show up in this revival trying to hinder what God wants to do? But don't you realize that you do have to fight for progress? The enemy's not just going to let a church explode in revival. Or let a church explode in growth. There's going to be opposition. And I got so mad after service. And after, after we went and ate, the, I felt like I needed to call this certain preacher. So I called this preacher. And I said, Brother so-and-so. I said, I felt like the Lord told me to call you. And I told him what was going on. And he started telling me a story about a lady who was the pastor's wife at this church. They pastored. They were having problems with a, a, a person, individual in that church. And they had a church school. And she was a, it was ACE where you get people, to, kids to work at their own pace and you just have one teacher. And she got all the kids to work and she was walking around talking to the Lord to herself quietly. And there was this kid that kept raising his hand and said, Sister so-and-so, come see. I want you to read this. He, she kept telling him, oh, go do your work, go do your work. And the Lord spoke to her and said, go see what that boy is telling you. So she went over there, and she, he said, I want you to read this. It's about honeybees. So she started reading the story about how honeybees do. And in the story it said, bees in the wild and different things and boxes, and they're out in the fields, mice would get in those boxes wanting some honey. And those bees will start stinging that mouse or rat and kill it. 
And then it'll start decaying and contaminating the hive. So they start slathering wax all over that animal, that creature. So it does not contaminate the rest of the hive. And the Lord said, I want you to pray that I will wax around and isolate that person's influence in the church so they don't contaminate the body. So she started praying just like that. And it wasn't just a matter of a few weeks. That man had to leave because he got a job transfer. And she never had to say a word. But God took care of that influence in the church. So I went to prayer during that revival. And I said, God, I'm praying you wax around that person, that spirit, those people. Don't let them hurt the body of Christ. Don't let them hinder what you're trying to do. And listen to me. By the end of that revival, show you how fast God works. The main one was the pastor's daughter-in-law. And she filed her for divorce for her husband and left at the end of that revival. That fast, God says, I'll get rid of that spirit out of that church that's trying to hinder. Listen to me. God's not going to put up with a spirit that's trying to hinder and contaminate that body of Christ. But we have to be aware of what's happening. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And fight. Don't just fight for you, but you fight for your brethren. You fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. Can I remind this great church as I near to a close that you're not here just for you but you're here for your family and you're here for your brethren and you're here for your sisters. We are a body of Christ. We fight this thing together. Stand with me right now. I'm going to hurry through this as our musicians come. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, the bows, and the habergeons and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. You had two types of people. You have the workers and the warriors. Now listen. I realize that a church consists of all types of people. I'm going to just go ahead and say it like this. Not everybody in here is spiritual. How it is. Just how it is. 
There's carnal people in here. They're workers. It takes workers. It takes people that may not pray the thunder down, but they'll take out the trash. Just because somebody doesn't do it like you doesn't mean they don't have a place in the kingdom of God. I mean, there's not a church out there where everybody's hanging from the chandeliers and everybody's prophesying. There's not a church out there. We'd be fooling ourselves to think that everybody in here has dreams and visions and prophesies. But everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. Every person has a place. Nehemiah said, I divided them up into two categories. There's the people that were going to just keep on working. They were going to show up for a work day. They were going to show up for a men's outing. They were going to be there for a ladies' tea. They were going to help reach people. They, were going to, they may not teach a Bible study, but they'll invite somebody to church. They're workers. And we need workers in the kingdom of God. But then there's that other group. They're, they're the warriors. It doesn't make them any better. They were just doing their purpose, fulfilling their purpose. For the mission. And I know there's people in here that you can teach Bible studies and you do know how to pray. You do know how to touch God. Every person has a place. We need workers and we need warriors in the kingdom of God. My question to you tonight is not do you have a purpose? You do. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Listen to me. I think I have proven by now that I'm not a money preacher. In fact, if I want to preach on money, I got to go make a sermon because I only have like two that deal with money. But the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And that principle applies to everybody. Everybody. And God blesses not just what you give, but He looks at what you give in proportion to what you have. He does. Give me Bible preacher. I will. What about the widow, the woman with two mites? She came and gave her two mites, and everybody else gave more than her. And Jesus said, hey, she gave more than all of y'all. Y'all gave out of your abundance. She gave all she had. There are people, there are people that God positions in his kingdom and he blesses them because he wants to use those blessings and channel it into his kingdom. 
I can take you to a person right now who's very close to me, who years ago, he started tithing off of what he wanted to make one day. Not off of what he made, off of what he wanted to make. And his income kept growing and growing and growing, and he hit it. And he said, all right, it's time to increase. And he raised it. And it kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And he kept hitting it. And he kept raising it. And he's been able to do all kinds of stuff for missionaries and give to church, to churches, because he recognizes he is not a reservoir. He is a steward, a channel. He may never preach, but he recognizes his purpose in the kingdom of God. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, I just happen to be going over donation statements today. And you're going to be getting donation statements. This may be the only thing you hear this year about money. Because God has blessed this church abundantly. But in that donation statement, you're going to have last year's 21 and the year before, which is 20. Why? Because I like to compare years. Because I like to see how God has blessed me that I might increase. Increase. Wasn't that the theme last year? Increase. I can tell you this. Every year starting with 19 and 20 and 21, the income has gone up. The offerings has gone up every single year. But you know why? Because our giving to missions has soared through the roof. And we've given to She's for Christ and Christmas for Christ. And there is a principle that God will not violate. The more you sow, the more you reap. Last year alone, this church gave to missions what came into the church, which means we use it for She's for Christ. We use it for missions projects. We use it for evangelists. Over $100,000. Because you realize that you have a purpose. And I'm going to brag on you more. I'm just telling you, if you can't teach a Bible study and you, and you say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a super spiritual warrior, you might be a worker. And you're just as valuable in the kingdom of God as if you was up here on this platform. When you get that statement, here's what I want you to do. This is probably the only time you're going to hear this this year. So this is a, this is an exclusive message. Touch your neighbor and say, this has been good. What does the tithing represent? It's the first fruits of my income. 10%. Not just 10%, the first tenth. How many of y'all remember that book we read, The Blessed Life, or the YouTube series that you watched, whichever one I gave you options? Here's what I do. This is just me. So I'm just telling you what I do, okay? You don't have to do this, but this is just good practice. We give out donation statements around the same time that people get their 
tax forms. So I'm not going to say every year, but almost every year when I got my tax documents, I added up all the income I made that year. And then I looked at how much I gave in tithes. And I wanted to make certain that that tithing on that statement was at least equal to 10% of what I made. I wanted to make sure because I did not want to rob God. I realize offerings vary. I realize missions and building fund, etc. I, I, I get it. I get it. This is a giving church. That's why I don't, why do you have to address something that, that people already do? That's why I don't harp on it. But I figure I might as well just go ahead and be Nehemiah tonight. And I went through some of these donation statements. And I'm sitting here looking at some of them going, God, you've been so good to these people. You've been so good to them. By tomorrow, by tonight, right now, if you held a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you what anybody gave. It's like God erases it from my mind. But there were some that grieved my spirit because I thought, how can you live the life that you live on that little bit of money that you give? I pray the mercy of God on people. Listen to me. When you get donation statements, it's not just a piece of paper you throw away. That's accountability. That you can make sure, God, I want to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to do my part in the kingdom of God. I trust tonight that you understand and know that I don't have a note, but rather this is God funneling some stuff out of my mouth that I had no clue I would even preach tonight. I believe that God has great things in store for this church. I know he does. It's going to take warriors that will keep on praying. And it's going to take workers that will just keep on working. I want you right now to take somebody by the hand and make your way to the front. Don't worry about where you're standing. It doesn't even have to be a spouse. It could be a sister to a sister. A brother to a brother. But I want you to know, make your way to the front. We're in this thing together. 